This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. I am so thankful that we have cracked the code on sin, and that's what this song is about. There's nothing that you've done, not that you've, nothing you've been through, something or anything that you've gone in your life. There's nothing you can do that you that God cannot take care of. I see shattered, you see whole. I see broken, you see beautiful. And you're helping me to Restoring me piece by piece. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. There's nothing too dead now lives again my heart's beating beating inside my chest oh I'm coming alive with joy and destiny oh Cause you're restoring me piece by piece. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. There's nothing too dirty that you can make worthy. You wash me in mercy. I am clean. Washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are purified. I am clean. Washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are glorified. I'm clean. 
washed in the blood of your sacrifice. Your blood flowed red and made me white. My dirty rags are glorified. song well we've sung a lot of truth together already today and just been reminded of the miraculous power of the name of Jesus through Tim's song and what a good Sunday it's been already um, so really it doesn't matter if I stink now because you've already got your your money's worth right so um We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 today, and this is a story that's in Matthew chapter 15 and also in Mark chapter 7, but we're talking about um, a woman who lived in the region of Tyre and Sidon who had a daughter who was possessed by a demon. And uh, in Matthew chapter 15, that's the version we're going to mainly be looking at today, starting at verse 21, um, let's just read the story. Matthew fifteen twenty one. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him, pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away. They said, she's bothering us with all her begging. Verse 24, then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. And then verse 28, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Let me tell you the story today and then we'll look at it a little bit. She hurried down the stone street between the houses as fast as her limping stride would take her. She navigated through fishmongers' carts, goats, small children, chickens, Her breath came in ragged gasps, and the few people who saw her face stopped, startled and staring. She was used to the reaction. She knew that the long, crooked scar from her forehead to her chin was like a brand, and that her wide-eyed, desperate expression made her almost grotesque. But she was far past any concern with what these people thought about her appearance. The night had been the worst she could remember, and with morning had come a decision. 
No social stigma, no mocking merchant, not even a Roman legion could deter her now. The old scar on her face was just the most visible. She worried that this time her limp would be permanent. The twisted knee was stubbornly refusing to regain strength. And there were brand new scratches on her face and arms from just last night, all from her own precious daughter. That a girl of only seven years and a thin, almost gaunt girl of seven at that was capable of such rage and such violent strength was difficult for her to make people understand. Her fits had begun two years ago during her husband's illness. As his health faded and his breathing became thinner and more labored, his fear made him a desperate, grasping tyrant on his sickbed. He had called in the priests of the old gods, the gods their ancestors called Baal and Ashtoret before the Romans came. The house reeked with the rotten odors of the increasingly macabre sacrifices that he had given until he had descended into incoherent fever. And one day he awoke for a moment with a cry of despair and was gone. She buried all the talismans and charms with him, but something stayed behind. The wide-eyed girl, who was and pliable most of the time, became at first unpredictably defiant, and then she became something else. She would attack her mother without warning. She would just tear out her own hair by the handful. She would beat her forehead against the stone wall or just scream for hours, insensitive to her mother's attempts to quiet her. The mother knew she had to keep the girl inside the house. If she terrorized the town, she might be killed by fearful neighbors. One of the neighbors had told her plainly that she should drown the girl and be free from the curse her husband had brought on the family. The mother's instinctive reaction was a quick-tongued reply that she wished the neighbor's mother had drowned him as a baby so no one would have to see that horrid face, and his loud cursing pursued her down the street. She lashed out with laughter at him but feared that he would harm her daughter someday when she was away. And so the mother absorbed the rage night after night. She wrapped herself around her daughter, sometimes unable to avoid the scratching fingers, the fists, or the violent lunges that threw them both across the room leaving bruises and sometimes sprains and scars. And then when the tiny body was too exhausted to move, the mother would watch her daughter's face and could see her girl return. Then the thin shoulders would spasm with a despairing weeping while her mother gritted her teeth and pleaded with her daughter to stay with her until they both finally slept as fatigue overcame all else. She somehow managed to feed them both by mending clothing and weaving damaged tent cloth. Mostly the girl's fits came only at night, so her mother made hurried trips to fetch water, supplies, and food while her daughter sat alone in the house. The mother's quick sarcasm and caustic wit caused some of the tra traders and the trades tradesmen to laugh, and they would send work her way. Sometimes the work was steady, but at other times she went for days with no work, and they ate nothing, and her sarcasm made people angry. Yesterday, the mother had seen a group of men walking to a large house near the seaport. They were Jewish men, but not wealthy. The leader of the group appeared to be a young rabbi. As they neared her, she instinctively drew into a shaded corner of a building, turning away. She knew the superior scornful looks that her Phoenician race would bring from the Jews, as well as their revulsion if they saw her scarred face. But as she turned away, the young rabbi turned and looked across the dusty road at her. 
His look held no scorn, no disgust. There was no calculated cruelty or judgment. He simply looked at her, saw her, met her eye, and gave a slight nod of pleasant greeting. And then he walked on. She realized she hadn't returned the greeting. Then, when she bought bread, there were several men talking excitedly about Jesus, the Jewish rabbi that they said was a miracle worker. Descended from the the old Jewish line of kings, apparently. The heir of David. They said he could walk out on the sea and make bread and fish come up out of the water. They said he could cure blindness by turning muddy water into magical wine. And she rolled her eyes privately at this. She had had her fill of tricksters and magicians and shamans. Then last night, her daughter had become the other girl again, but it was worse. She shrieked and clawed and bit and kicked and slavered and raged for hours on end. She would subside with her lungs heaving for a minute or two, and then it would come again. All night, the mother clung to her daughter, absorbing the pain, calling out through her sobbing for her daughter to come back, to remember who she was, to come back to her mother. Then at some point in the pre-dawn darkness, she began calling out for God to rescue her daughter, And she didn't know what God she was talking to. And she didn't care. If there was a God who would help, it would have to be an unselfish God who didn't care much about sacrifices or gold or gifts. It would have to be a good God. It would have to be a God who could be convinced to show mercy. So she began to call out quietly, asking the good God to hear her. And then as the sky began to turn gray and then blue, her daughter's small body had finally sagged in her arms and slept. And as the mother fell into fitful unconsciousness, she dreamed of the rabbi nodding to her across the road. And in her dream, he spoke to her, but there was a darkness closing in on her and it made her unable to hear what he said and she was afraid. But then in the dream, he spoke to the darkness and suddenly she knew the darkness was afraid. The dream repeated itself several times until finally she shouted in her dream and asked the rabbi if there was a good God. Then he spoke again, and the darkness fled in terror, and what he said was, I am Jesus. I am. She awoke with the words clearly in her ears, and it seemed as they had actually been spoken aloud in the room. She was instantly fully awake. That rabbi, that was that Jesus, the miracle worker? She knew where he was staying. She knew where to find him. She limped through the crowded streets, hurrying to move faster than her doubt and her fear. He was Jewish. He would probably despise her when he realized she was Phoenician. Dogs, the Jews called them. Jews despised everyone but Jews. He would probably turn out to be just like all the other magicians, demanding more and more payment and growing impatient when she couldn't pay. She knew she was worthless. She knew her daughter's condition was something she deserved. Her scarred face, her broken body were proof of the curse on her family. And if the rumors were true, Jesus was descended from kings. This was probably a wasted attempt. But she went on anyway, nearer to that house by the seaport. When she arrived, the door was open. There were two small girls in the courtyard, washing clothes in a large bowl. They looked up curiously for a moment, but then ignored her when they saw she appeared to be no one of consequence. She went to the door and started to knock, but then she saw the rabbi sitting on a low chair reading from a scroll. Several other men sat nearby eating or resting. The social impossibility of what she was about to do was overwhelming. 
There on the doorway beside her was the tiny scroll with the Jewish holy writings inside. For a Phoenician and a woman to enter a Jewish residence invited scorn and anger and sometimes violence. A woman coming alone was also forbidden and her scarred appearance. And as in her dream the night before, a darkness began to close in on her and she could imagine she felt it pressing her down and she could feel it crawling up the back of her scalp. Then suddenly she realized the rabbi was looking at her. Despair washed over her, but she was in the door now. It was too late to turn and flee. She thought of the small form curled up in the blanket at her house. If there was any hope at all, she had to try. If there was a good God, a merciful God, maybe He would tell this miracle worker rabbi what she should do. She pushed back at the darkness as if it were a physical thing. Then she spoke, but her voice sounded thin and distant. She stopped and tried to... How was she supposed to address a Jewish rabbi and a rabbi descended from kings? She spoke with trembling hands, but her voice was steady. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. He looked at her, then seemed to consider something for a moment. Then he looked back at his scroll and resumed his reading. He said nothing. The others in the room were all looking at her with the annoyance and the disgust that she had expected. This was not going well. She almost turned to go, but then she saw that he was looking at her again. His expression was expectant and not unfriendly. She wondered if she was expected to offer him money, but she had brought none. She looked around, hoping for some cue as to how she should proceed next. A long, awkward silence pervaded. But then one of the other men spoke to the rabbi. Tell her to go away, he said. She's bothering all of us with her begging. The darkness pressed on her back harder and harder. The rabbi turned and looked at her again and finally spoke. I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel, he said. There it was, the Jewish superiority she had expected. But when, she, when he spoke, the darkness receded a bit and she could breathe again. She knew she should turn and go, but suddenly she was lowering herself to her knees, bowing her face to the floor. Lord, she said through gritted teeth, help me. He would tell her to leave now, she thought. He could tell she had no money to pay him. She had failed. He spoke again, and his words at first confirmed her fears. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, he said. He emphasized the word dogs, drawing it out pointedly. She began to weep. There it was. The hatred of her race, the disdain for her scarred appearance, the Jewish superiority. But then she saw that he was still looking at her. She had to try. She had to try. She and her daughter had no other hope left. And her sarcasm came back to her from a tight throat through clenched teeth. She said, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. The darkness blurred her vision, made her ears ring. The pressure was almost unbearable. Then the most unexpected thing happened. The rabbi laughed. 
She looked up, wondering, saw him, his head thrown back, pure delight on his face. He laughed a long, ringing laugh, and the darkness fled away and did not return. The dogs are allowed to eat the scraps, he said. He shook his head and laughed again. The other men in the room stared in confusion. Then he stood and came to her. He knelt in front of her, raised his hands. She started back, gasping slightly, almost expecting to be struck. But slowly he put his hands on her shoulders. He looked her in the eye. Her dream came back to her. I am Jesus. I am. He had said nothing aloud, but he nodded once and then spoke again slowly and softly. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. Your daughter is well. The demon will not return. He stayed holding her gaze for a moment more. Then he stood, returned to his chair, sat, and resumed reading his scroll. She was suddenly breathing hard, and she lurched to her feet. Oh, she said, oh, and then she was out the door, moving as fast as she could. If it were true, if it were true, she limped around the corners, pushed through a flock of sheep, down some steps in a painful, jolting stride, and turned in at the door of the small, quiet house. Her eyes took a moment to adjust to the dim interior. Then her vision swam as she grasped the door frame for balance. Her daughter sat on a small table, her legs dangling cheerfully. There was, incredibly, on her face, a real smile. The girl jumped down and ran forward. Emma, said her daughter, I was waiting for you. Let me tell you what happened. I dreamed a king came to me. He told me I was free. And when he said it, the dark things ran and hid. Mother, I'm very hungry. Do we have any bread? Some of you have heard this story before, told it before. <laughs> this week I noticed some new things in the story and, the, and kind of the, the story of the journey of, of this being what we looked at on Sunday morning is a very long story that I don't have time to tell all of, but I do believe God directed me this way today for a reason. I don't know what it is fully, but I think it's a, this is an on-purpose thing. This is a moving story because I recognize the woman in this story. I think maybe a lot of you do too. I know some people may not, you know, they may not have a demon-possessed daughter, but their lives share a pain that probably makes this story very familiar to them. I recognize this woman. And when I really look closely, I recognize the Jesus in this story as the same Jesus that I'm trying to follow and learn from and love. And the story makes me love Jesus more but not necessarily at first glance, right? Because at first glance, there's a mountain of obstacles in this woman's way, and Jesus sure doesn't seem like he's helping her out any at first, right? First, she's a Gentile, you know, someone who was not a Jew, and that was a huge obstacle. Um, we read Matthew's version of the story here. The other version is in Mark chapter 7, and Mark tells us more specifically that the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She's from that ancient seafaring race, Phoenicians. Um, they lived in the area of Tyre and Sidon. They had some good diplomatic relationships with Israel over the years off and on, but they were definitely subpar as far as Jews were concerned. They were Gentiles. They were dogs. Um, 
And the Jews saw her as a dog, and that insult was what they used for Gentiles, dogs. And we don't use, we don't use in our culture, there's a, there's a term for a female dog that we don't use in polite conversation, right? And this word carried at least all of that negative, con, um, negative connotation. Um, when they used this word dog, it, it was at least that offensive. It was also a racial epithet in, in into the bargain. And so it, it had taken on this offensive meaning, and it was just a degrading term. So first she's a Gentile, then she's a woman, and she's not just dealing with the challenges of like breaking through the glass ceiling, things like that. She's in a culture where women had it much worse than they do now, particularly women who were unmarried, particularly widows, that kind of thing. Some cultures in the world are still like this. And sadly, some women in our community are treated the same. They're seen as worthless, and after being treated like that their whole lives, they begin to see themselves that way too. So she's a Gentile, one. She's a woman, two. And three, she has a daughter who's possessed by this evil darkness that makes her not her daughter. A demon lives in her house, and it's worse than just a demon living in her house. It's living in her little girl. It's destroying her beloved daughter. So she's a Gentile, she's a woman, and her daughter is being destroyed by an evil that she can't understand. Three huge obstacles, three excuses that would make it totally understandable for her to just give up. Three reasons why there's no point in going on. Three things that make going to Jesus impossible. I don't understand all about how God works sometimes. And a lot of ways. But, but one of them is, some of you have had it really, really rough. Some of you have had some obstacles in your way that made coming to Jesus totally impossible, honestly. Some of you knew you should just give up. And for some of you, even though all of that was true, you didn't give up. You, could, you did come to Jesus. But that's getting ahead of us here. But something I don't understand about how God works fully is why some people at least seem to have it so much harder as far as coming to Jesus. And that was some of you. And maybe you're here today and that's you right now. Like you want to come to Jesus, but the road there is just impossible. You can't see a way. You want to come to Jesus. Maybe you've prayed hard. Maybe you've tried to change. You tried harder than you've ever tried anything in your life. And for you, this woman's story might feel very familiar. So those three obstacles, on top of that, Jesus put three more. First, she came to, the, to him there in Matthew fifteen twenty two, asked him to help her daughter. What did he do? First, ignored her. Silence. She's a Gentile dog. She's a woman who wasn't supposed to talk to a man. She has a demon-possessed daughter. And now when she does the impossible, cries out to Jesus for help, silence. Didn't answer her. Not a word, it says. Have you ever cried out to God and it just seemed like He was silent? So three obstacles and then Jesus is silent. But she keeps asking. In fact, she keeps asking to the point where it annoys Jesus' disciples. Now, I hope this isn't true, but some of you might have desperately needed Jesus' help at some point in your life. And you kept asking, and maybe you kept asking church people to pray for you, 
And you kept crying out to Jesus to the point where some of us church people got tired of it. I really hope that's not true. I really hope I haven't ever given you the impression that I was saying to you like, okay, you've had your chance, but you're really bothering me with your neediness right now. I hope that hasn't happened to you, but it might have. Sometimes church people don't respond right. Sometimes I don't respond right. We're supposed to be representatives of Jesus, but we're not Jesus. Sometimes we get it wrong. And if you're here and you've been a Christian and a church person for a long time, let's remember we were desperately lost once. And if lost people are annoying to us, if that ever if you ever reach a point where lost people are annoying to you, we need to beg Jesus to help us see the way he sees. We in our culture tend to have this attitude of, hey, it's time to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Get over it. Get through it. Fix it. Get past it. It's time to be done with that struggle you're having. And if we're not careful, we as Christians, those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, we can get annoyed with lost people. And they can tell. And if that's, if that's you, if that's me, God help us to see the way He sees But if lost people know that church people are annoyed by their lostness, that just adds another huge obstacle. So, three obstacles. Then Jesus is silent. The woman keeps asking until the disciples tell Jesus to send her away. Jesus silences the fourth obstacle. Here comes the fifth. He says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. So he's shutting her down because she's of a different race. I read some expert commentary on this, and he said, one of these guys, an expert writing about this, said, Jesus was telling her that it wasn't time for his ministry to the Gentiles yet. That would come later. And I think that Bible expert was wrong. I, I, he could be right, but I don't think he is. Because this lady didn't know theology. She didn't. She wasn't a Jew. She didn't know anything about their scriptures. She didn't care about dispensations of grace, whatever. She knows she started the day with three impossible obstacles, and now she's up to five. Some of you have been mistreated because of the family you were born into. Some of you were told maybe by your parents that you weren't worth much. And some of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is real and he's powerful and loving and good to some people. But after long and painful experience, you've come to the conclusion that maybe you're just not one of those people. There are some people that He saves miraculously, and you've seen that. There are some people that He changes, but not you. For some reason, you just don't seem to be one of those chosen people. Some of you know this feeling. So she's up to five obstacles, but for some reason, she keeps asking Him to help her anyway. And he throws out the sixth obstacle, and this one is big. He calls her a dog. And remember, it's not just dog like a cute little puppy. It's the racial insult, the offensive, degrading verbal wound. It's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, some of you have dealt with prejudice, maybe. Some of you have, some of you have an offensive name that you've been called that's just stuck with you. You can't seem to shake it. You started to wonder if it's true. You really are a, insert horrible insult here. And so now she's up to six obstacles. She's broken all the way down. There's nothing left. 
But for some reason, and I think God just gave her a little extra grace, some reason she just juts out her chin and says, even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps. And Jesus loves it. In Mark's version of the story, he says, good answer. And everything is changed. And where he had added three more obstacles, he did three things for her. In verse 28 of Matthew 15, he says, Dear woman. Okay, one, he called her dear woman. The dog's thing is gone, right? Dear woman. Your faith is great, he says. Called her a dear woman. He told her that she had great faith. Can you imagine Jesus himself looking you in the eyes and saying, you have great faith. And then the third one was huge. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Everything has changed. Why did he pile up all those obstacles, though? I don't know for sure. But I think some of you might know what that feels like. And even though I don't know for sure, I have a theory. I think Jesus kept piling up obstacles because if she was ever going to be free, if her child was ever going to be free, Jesus was going to have to be the only lifeline for her. She was going to have to be willing to let go of all the excuses. Let go of the bitterness over how she'd been treated. She's going to have to ignore the way that church people were getting it wrong. Forget about people disrespecting her, disrespecting her daughter. Forget about the endless suffering that she had faced in her life. She was going to have to let go of all of that and just cry out to Jesus for help as many times as it took. Her pride tossed aside, her ego kicked to the curb, her hurt and pain pushed through, and Jesus loved it. He loved it. And Jesus loves you. You... You've heard that before. Jesus loves you. I mean, come to church on a Sunday morning, you're not going to be surprised to hear Jesus loves you, right? But Jesus loves you. He doesn't just love you because it's some like abstract concept of, yes, Jesus loves everybody in the world, so therefore He has to love you. Jesus loves you, personally you. He loves you in spite of everything you've ever gone through. He loves you despite all the bad history that you've had. He made you the way He made you for a reason. He loves all the stuff that you're into. He loves the things that you're passionate about. He made you that way on purpose, and He likes that about you. And yes, this world throws all kinds of stuff at us and twists us, warps us, and our sin can take the good things that He has made in us and twist them and mess them up and make them dark. But initially, the way He made you, the way He really made you to be, He loves you. And He not only loves you, He likes you. He thinks you're a good idea. Jesus loves you. I'm looking at people here who have attended church for longer than I've been alive. But I think sometimes, no matter how long you've been hearing it, you need to hear it again. Jesus loves you. Some of you are going through times that are so tough that you can't even breathe. Some of you may not be right now, but maybe that's coming. Sorry. 
But no matter what happens, Jesus loves you. And no matter what things we go through, no matter what things make it seem like it's time to give up, it's impossible, we'll never make it, He loves you. And His love will never fail. If He seems silent, if He seems distant, if He even seems like He's piling on to the obstacles that you've already had piled up in your life, don't let that stop you. Cry out to Jesus because He does not fail. His love is unending. He is not running out of miracles. He's not running out of power. He loves you. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Thank you for this story. Thank you. This just makes me love Jesus more. And, and thank you that you love us no matter what our history, no matter the obstacles, no matter the things that we're going through. We don't understand, God, why you allow some things to happen. We don't understand the way you work sometimes. But thank you that it's absolutely certain that you love us. And even if our lives are terrible the entire time we live on this earth, we thank You that there is freedom from our sin and there is freedom from the darkness and that death has no power over us. That as Paul said, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. That we, When we die and go to be with You, we have conquered and we have victory over all the history, all the junk, all the, all the hurt and the pain in our lives that we have this little, as Paul said, light and momentary suffering sometimes on this earth, but, it, but it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us when we see You face to face. Thank You, God, that You love us. Help us not to give up. Help us not to get annoyed with lost people. Help us to believe for those that are in our families and our neighborhoods and our co-workers who kind of seem like they're going through a similar situation as this woman. God, help us to believe for them that there can be that miracle still. You can rescue anyone no matter what. Thank You, Lord, that You're still rescuing people. In Your name we pray. Amen. Thank You for coming. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.